podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by the one and the only Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Well, I am soon to be no longer introduced by you as Blue Tick Carl Matchett, so there you go. <laughs> the old Big J journalism not paying enough to cover the eight euro or eight eight dollar a month fee, no? I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to put in an application for the indie to pay it all for us, but uh, not quite sure what we're expected to get back out of that, so probably we'll be leaving that one for now. Yeah, I'd imagine most people probably will, because it is one of the more stupid ideas. Uh, but look, when you are forced into buying a company you don't really want to buy just because you thought something would be funny because you're a bit of a prick, you deserve to have your company shut down. My bigger question is, where do we all go when Twitter falls apart. Um, anyway, that's a question for another day. Liverpool won a game of football last night, Carl, against good. a very against a very good team. Yeah, uh, I'm wondering if that's just the theme for the season now. If we play decent sides, we can we can win the game, and if we play absolute dross, then we can play even worse than they normally are. So, you know, we could be looking at Champions League winners and relegation. I'd take it. I'd take it. Because we just go and win the Champions League back-to-back years and ensure that we're in it each season. And we get to go and run roughshod over the Championship for a year, which would actually... Like, let's be honest, it would be fun to go and have a season in the Championship because that league is absolutely mental. There is no rhyme or reason to that division at all, but you would expect that we would be able to do quite well at it. So uh, I, I would take that. I would take winning the European Cup and getting relegated personally. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends in large part of who, who gets promoted. You know, if it's going to be a, I don't know, let's say a Yeovil and a Oxford, I'd probably be up for it, something like that, if we can get those those kinds of teams into the championship on a regular basis. But I'm not going to be keen if it is just about playing Sheffield United and Hull and all the teams that it took me absolutely ages to get rid of from the Premier League who I didn't like playing every week anyway. Well, let's have a quick let's have a quick gander because we can we can save Spurs. It looks like Burnley looked like a good bet to come up this year. Blackburn might come up, and let's say Sheffield United. Let's just say they win through the the playoffs. That leaves QPR, which for you I think is a is a relatively short commute. It leaves Norwich, which will keep you happy as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Swansea, so, you know, a trip abroad for some people. <laughs> um, Preston, we, we we don't play them very be often new, at all. Be, be a new local derby, wouldn't it? Exactly. Um, Watford are one of those clubs that you just 
they're 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 a bit of an annoyance, but they're there. At Millwall, I don't remember the last time we played Millwall personally. Uh, when I was a kid, Luton were in the top flight and had a plastic pitch, so I liked us. And obviously, we played them in the FA Cup years back, and Alonso scored from the halfway line. So I take that. Uh, Reading, always a nice day out. Birmingham, Rotherham, Bristol City, always a good trip to Bristol. Blackpool, that's another local one, and maybe Jurgen can tie that in with a bit of tapping up behind the scenes for some player who flies in and flies out on the day. Uh, Sunderland, Cardiff, a second trip abroad. Middlesbrough, can all go stay in Guy's house. Uh, Coventry, when we were kids, Carol Coventry were always in the Premier League. I'd like to see Coventry back. Exactly, Gordon Strachan, Big Ron, Richard Shaw, John Salaku. That's what we want, yeah. Full-on British eleven. Yes, all of them... Having been bought from Crystal Palace for about 1.2 million. Excellent. Um, Hull, Stoke, Wigan, West Brom, and Huddersfield, nobody really cares about any of those clubs. Uh, the likely teams to come up from League One, as it stands, you could get Plymouth, could be fun, uh, Ipswich, and potentially Sheffield Wednesday. And again, you know, one of the clubs that were in the Premier League when we were kids and will be nice to see back. I think it'll be fun. It's obviously not going to happen, but it would be fun to just have that season. Remember when people were saying all the all the, pre- the, the Premier League clubs that were involved in the Super League should be relegated to the Championship? Hmm. Grand. <laughs> like, we'll do it for it, yeah. We'll just go down and, and, and rattle through that division for a year. We'll get plenty of opportunity to develop young players because there's 46 games and you're not going to play your best players 46 times. And all of our young players... Just the 25 starts for Milner then. Just the 25 starts for Milner across all competitions. Um, But like, you know, Ramsey and Jones and uh, Basetich and Bobby Clark and Ben Doak and Kate Gordon and whoever else is available can all get opportunities in that. Harvey Elliott more games, Fabio Carvalho more games, lads that have proven themselves in that division. Like there would be, there would be a benefit to playing there in that all those players would get more games and more minutes while still winning the league. Uh, Cause you'd still have your Salas and your Virgils and whoever else. Cause they're not going to leave. We're still in the European cup <laughs> and that's all they really care about. Um, I'm just going to add that one footnote of stupidity to this really, really pointless tangent that we've managed to put ourselves on just a few minutes into the podcast today. Uh, I, I, in my head, Yeovil were bouncing between League One and League Two, so could be back up into the Championship next year. Uh, I've just discovered that Yeovil are um, a fifth-tier team these days in the National League and haven't even been in League One for the last seven years. So if we have any hybrid Liverpool-Yeovil fans, I apologise. Shoddy knowledge. I genuinely wouldn't have known that either that they no hadn't idea. been there for so long um sure look we'll go play in the conference and we'll we'll batter yeovil we'll batter wrexham and boreham wood and whoever else is down there at this point we're kind of at this point we're kind of need a feeder team aren't we we'll, we'll take a basically yeovil in fact we'll have yeovil we'll use them and, and sort of get the the joneses and dokes and all the rest of them up a few leagues loads and loads of experience win the vars along the way if that's still going and we'll see 
Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. You, any any opportunity for uh, us to expand would be good. Um, right, we should talk then now about the game that matters, that is Liverpool versus Tottenham this coming weekend. Good news for us, Carl. Bad news for Spurs. Christian Romero ruled out. Hyungman Son looking very unlikely. Dejan Kulisevsky ruled out. Richarlison ruled out. So that is three of their four best attackers and by far their best defender not available for this game. Even with our own injury issues, that is a big plus for us. Yeah, I mean, the the attacking options in particular is a, a big thing for them to, to be missing because you know it's been a big thing for Spurs to finally get to a place where they can have one or two players in or out in that attacking line and them not really drop off. Uh, that took them a long, long time to sort out and Kulosevsky and Richarlison are investments for them. So to have, at, at the very least, not fully fit and probably not available is, uh, is a bit of a disappointment. Um, the one potential mitigator to that is uh, Lucas Moura I think is back to full fitness now although not back to full sharpness let's say so he could be a starter and they sort of play him off Kane and and try to keep two in attack but uh, at the very least it's not going to be a a fully firing one is it so long lay back in defence of late Uh, Eric Dyer left out after a real sudden drop off in form Tottenham have not been playing that well, to be brutally honest. Their, their position is pretty good still, obviously still third in the table, but there's a big, big gap between I mean, even Man City and, and Arsenal and themselves. I would say it's uh, a little bit of a fortunate position at the minute because of some inconsistencies behind them, because some of their performances mm. have been bad. They have. They have without question. And they've lost three of their last six games in the Premier League. They lost away to Arsenal. Now, they will claim that it was 2-1 and well-balanced going into the last half hour before the Emerson Royal red card, but they had been fairly comfortably outplayed until that point. Um, they, you know, no, they weren't. They weren't ever really in the game. Following that up, they got a good win away to Brighton. Then they beat Everton 2-0 when Everton just decided to come and park buses. Then they went to Old Trafford and got completely outplayed. Uh, Lost 2-0. Then Newcastle went to the Tottenham Stadium, White Hart Lane, and beat them 2-1. Now, I thought Spurs deserved something from that game. I thought they were the better team and had the better chances on the day. But Newcastle defended quite well. Nick Pope made a couple of big, big saves. Spurs were a little bit wasteful, and Toon went home with a really good 2-1 win. And Newcastle obviously sit fourth in the league now, and that's the team that will potentially pass them this weekend if Spurs fail to to beat us and Newcastle win in their game. That is not ideal form, and even if you go before that, they hammered Leicester, they scraped by Fulham, they weren't all that impressive against Spur- against Forest. They got fairly comprehensively outplayed by Wolves, but beat them 1-0. They got outplayed by West Ham and Drew. They got outplayed by Chelsea and Drew. Like, there hasn't been a lot of good performances. Even this past weekend, 
they go 2-0 down to Bournemouth and have to fight back to win 3-2. Showed a lot of character and courage to fight back and win, as I thought they did last night, having gone 1-0 down away to Marseille, kept going until the end, and like in the Bournemouth game, got a late goal to win it. But their form has been very, very hit and miss, and the performances really aren't what I would have been expecting from a Conte team by now. No, I agree. And I think my, my biggest issue over them at the minute is that their build-up play is non-existent. It's really, really basic and really quite poor, to be honest. Um, it is a lot of the time looking for the wing-backs to deliver crosses, a lot of set plays. And then other than that, it's about letting Kane or Son do their thing individually or you know, in, in combination with the, with the pair of them, as they often do. But still, just looking to those two to produce stuff, there's not really so much, uh, I wouldn't say, set patterns of play in terms of get one of the midfielders forward or any underlaps from one of the centre-backs or real, you know, driving infield to make up an extra man in the box from the wing-backs. They are just there as an outlet, really. I am absolutely not impressed with the way that Spurs play. I don't think that their defensive work is that good so that they can be this boring, basically, in build-up play because it's predictable. They don't don't really have, you know, outrageous magic to create chances against sides who are either fighting very hard or well-organised or anything like that. I mean, the Man United game, I think, was a classic example. It was so formulaic in terms of their build-up play. It was really, really predictable, really easy for United to defend well, but to do everything they needed to without being too sweaty about it, really. Uh, And the Bournemouth game was exactly the same. They won that game off corners. That's it. Mm. That was what they had. It was a constant barrage of set pieces and corners and deliveries against one of the worst teams for defending set pieces and corners. And ultimately it did pay off. I think Matt Travers was pretty flappy for a lot of that second half. And obviously the pressure in the old, uh, in the end did, did tell. And that's fine. You can win games, however. And actually I want to make the same point about Liverpool in a little while when we get onto us. But Tottenham didn't win this game by playing football or, you know, being excellent in attack or anything like that. It was just constant pressure off dead ball deliveries. That's where the goals came from. Yeah, I mean, one of Conte's strengths has always been that he does find the weakness in the opposition team and he does look to exploit it. But, I mean, there's no magic in realising that this Bournemouth team can't defend set pieces. They are an abomination when it comes to defending set pieces. and anybody could do what Spurs did in that regard. When I watched that team with Kulisevsky versus without Kulisevsky, it's very clear that he has quite quickly become one of, if not their most important players, because he's the only one they have who can really link the midfield to the attack. And he doesn't do it with passing. He does it by dropping back, picking the ball up off the toes of Emerson Royal and then carrying it 40 yards into the opposition box and feeding one of Kane or Son. Without him, they don't really seem to have any plan to progress the ball, which is very un-Conte-esque. Now, it does make you wonder, at Inter, things got a little bit stale. He put Ericsson into midfield, and that was kind of the extra ingredient they needed, and they went on and won the title at a counter. When he was at Chelsea, he had Sesk in midfield, 
And he was vital to them winning the title when they had Kante, Sesk, and Matic. And then prior to that, at Juventus, he had Pirlo. That, to me, is what they're missing. They're missing someone who can break the lines with their passing. They're missing the obvious one because they're playing us. They're missing someone like Thiago who can just dictate the game and take advantage of the aggressive, hard-working players that they have in Heusberg, in Bentoncourt, in Basuma, and kind of magnify the strengths of those players while covering the weakness, which is that ability to, ability to progress the ball through the lines. Yeah, I agree. I think another difference if we look at just Inter and Spurs especially is uh, the connection player at certain times was that third midfielder stroke attacking midfielder as well. And they don't really have that at all at the minute unless Kane is dropping deep because they're playing the three-man attack most of the time, obviously. They haven't really had that person who can go between the two lines, basically, who can be a midfielder at times but also a forward. They don't really have that with any of their midfield options. When they have gone with the three in midfield, it's three you know, ball winners, ball carriers, that sort of thing, but it's not someone who'll flip between the two lines, basically. And we haven't seen the best of Basuma with Spurs yet, obviously. Um, whether that's just a, he doesn't quite prefer him and he wants him as a backup or he just hasn't been in great form, give him a bit longer and we'll see. But at the moment, I, I really think that other than maybe looking for someone to play a little bit out of position, someone like... It's not going to happen, but let's say Perisic, for example, because he can play both through the midfield and forward lines, because he can pick up the ball in deep areas and run with it, he would be like somebody that they're missing. Obviously a central player rather than a wide player, but I don't think that they really have that person in the squad. Unless, like I say, this weekend they might try and play Lucas Moura in something like that if they don't have Son or Kulosevsky available. Yeah, that does seem the most likely that they play Moura off Kane and go with the three-man midfield. Because other than that, he's going with four central midfielders and two wing-backs and Kane up front in his own, because they don't really have anything else. Unless he wants to play Brian Hill. And I know... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the thing with Hill is he's got a lot of talent, but he's very, very lightweight, and he's very immature in his decision-making. There's, there's no doubt the lad can play, but he just doesn't seem ready to play at this kind of level. No, I think so. I'm expecting Mora off Kane and then Heusberg, Basuma, and Bentoncourt as a wall in midfield with Emerson Royale and Perisic as wingbacks. Yeah, I think that's probably what it'll be. I think with Hill, there's a big difference between technique and talent, to be honest. And he has a lot of one and not a lot of the other. Not at this point, anyway. Um, I mean, you can. Maybe make the case that they go and push Perisic into the into the three man attack line and put Moore right, Perisic left, and then you've got Sessegnon to still play wing back. Perhaps that's a good shout. That, that's maybe a a slight tweak on it, and then they don't have to play any more extra midfielders. But really depends on if he is happy to carry on with the three in midfield, which obviously they've had for the last couple of games, or they want to just stick with the three four three, which he's had for most of the season before that. Uh, I think the three four three has been. 
probably better for, for the attack in terms of individuality. But again, they were really lacking a connection. That's why they went with the extra uh, man in midfield because they were really struggling to dominate any kind of game at all, no matter what type of team that they were playing against. But especially when they were playing, you know, the, the United, the Newcastle, that there were long stretches where they couldn't get the ball into the opposition half. They couldn't get themselves up the pitch. Uh, so I think that until they went to the, the three-man midfield, they, they really were struggling to impose themselves and be the better team throughout the match, I would say. Uh, and I think that that's a, maybe something which would help us in this particular game, depending on how we line up. And again, we'll get to that in a bit. But I think that Spurs are probably only going to be the most dangerous offset players and transitions in this game, unless Conte pulls out something completely different, which he's capable of, but you mm. wouldn't expect given what he's done so far this year. No, you wouldn't. I mean, I'm looking at the team they played last night and Lloris in goal, Dyer played right side of the back three, Lengley played in the middle, which is the, the role he's sort of taken on from Dyer, who, who'd been in poor form. Ben Davies is back in on the left side. Sessegnon played as the right wing back, Perisic as the left wing back, uh, Bentoncourt and Heusberg in the middle, Lucas Moura, Harry Kane and Youngman Son up front. On the bench, this is where he'd need to be looking for somebody he can trust. And Matt Doherty, he recently basically called a loser. Ollie Skip, he doesn't seem to trust yet. Davinson Sanchez isn't very good. Brian Hill, he doesn't seem to trust. Emerson Royale, he does seem to like, but isn't all that good. Uh, Fraser Force is a backup goalkeeper. Uh, Jed Spence, he's openly said he, he doesn't believe he's ready to play at the level he needs him to play. Uh, Jaffa Tenganga, I can only assume, insulted Conte in the summer because he was out for like three months with a, a very minor injury. Uh, Papi Matar Sar is another young box-to-box ball-winning midfielder. He's not a creative player. Basuma doesn't have the manager's full trust yet. I think Brandon Austin, is he a goalkeeper as well? Am I, am I right with that? He is. Brandon Austin, also a goalkeeper. And Harvey White who's another young player, and we know we know that Conte isn't really keen on too many young players because he thinks they're all idiots. Um, there's not a whole lot there to threaten you if you're Liverpool. There's not a whole lot there to concern you outside of Perisic gets down the wing, slings in a cross, and Kane gets on the end of it in open play with Son out, with Kulisewski out, with Richarlison out, that's kind of what they've got unless Hoysberg sticks one in the net from 25 yards. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy, by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, um, I mean, those line breakers again from midfield is 
going to keep banging this drum until it stops happening. But that is a big thing that we've had a, a problem with. So that is definitely one to be aware of, especially with Hoiberg breaking forward at quite a bit more this season than we would have seen in previous campaigns, especially because he's got Ben Tenkoer now uh, beside him and about another 15 players in the defensive and midfield lines. Um, I, I, again, I think really it's transitions obviously going through Kane, counter-attacks going through Kane, set-pieces with all of the centre-backs that they can throw forward and everything. And depending who plays wing-back, it could be a problem for us in terms of like the pace and the ball-carrying and that. But, I mean, I'd fancy Trent against Perisic to win at least his fair share of one-on-ones. I don't think there's a big problem there. I think either of our full-backs should be able to cope with Emerson Royale, who... I'm with you, I've never really liked him at all. He's a really good straight-line runner, but once you ask him to do a few bits and pieces in terms of link-up play, the level goes down quite quickly, I think. Um, it's, it's, he's not the most inventive or you know ingenuity sort of based player. I don't like this Tottenham side, how it's built at the minute, I'll be honest. I expected quite a bit more from Conte, especially with how much money they've got, how excited some of the people at the club and the fans were over the summer dealings. I expected quite a lot more from them at this point, but I just think they're missing two or three pretty big ingredients. And like I said, if not if not for quite a lot of inconsistency below them this season, I think third flatters them quite a lot. I mean, Liverpool, you wouldn't obviously have expected us to be as abominable as we have been. Chelsea, you wouldn't have expected them to have been as inconsistent as they have been. I think they've got a bit lucky, to be honest, at the minute. I'm not sure how long that holds out for if they don't turn it around before the other teams do. I do agree, but I would also say that there are two teams massively underperforming. Well, I don't know if Chelsea are massively underperforming, but they are underperforming and we're massively underperforming. But I also think Newcastle and Arsenal are massively overperforming what their actual level is. So it is a bit of a weird mix at the minute. And you're right, I could easily see Spurs dropping out. But at the same time, I can see Conte just Conteing his way to like second in the league at the end of the season when Arsenal fall back to where their actual level is and end up fourth or fifth and Newcastle end up sixth or seventh. Because that's just what Conte does. I mean, this is a man that won a league title in the Premier League with a back five that had... Victor Moses as one wing-back, Marcus Alonso as the other, and a back three of Cesar Aspilicueta, David Luiz, and the ghost of Gary Cahill. Like, the guy doesn't need the best ingredients to get the best results. He just finds consistency. I'm surprised in the summer they didn't address their centre-back issues. Because he clearly wants to play a three. That's what he does. And let's be honest, Carl, the only centre-back at that club who's good enough to start in a back three for a team that wants to win the league, which is what Conte wants, regardless of any anything else, regardless of who the club is, the only one is Romero. You're not winning the league with Eric Dyer. You're not winning the league with Ben Davies. You're not winning the league with Clement Langley. You're not winning the league with Davinson Sanchez. It shocked me that they didn't go out and address those centre-back issues. Now, I know they tried to get Gvardiol and they tried to get Bastoni, but surely Pau Torres would have made a lot of sense for them as the left-sided one. And even then, you could, you're could you not going to win the league with Dyer, but he can do a decent, a decent job 
for most games. It just that shocked me, and then not adding someone who could be the link between midfield and attack, like James Madison was openly petitioning for a move by all accounts to get to Spurs, talking to players at Spurs that he knew, trying to get his agent involved. Ericsson was available on a free, and I, I would be willing to bet Ericsson would have gone back to Spurs rather than United if the opportunity had presented itself. And Conte knew him. He knew the club, obviously, and yet nothing ever materialized. Spurs never went for him. That really surprised me. And, you know, you look at the business that they did. I really like Basuma. I think he will prove in time to be a very good player. I would have happily taken him at Liverpool. I really like Jed Spence, but I can understand why Conte is hesitant to use him at the minute. They spent quite a bit of money on Destiny Adoje, who's another kid at Udinese that's going to stay there for a year. And then they brought in Richarlison, who... I'm sorry, they overpaid for significantly £60 million for Richarlison. To me, is it was just a very strange decision. But again, I could see why they wanted that profile, because he could play instead of Kane and instead of Son. It's just, that was such a significant portion of your budget to go and spend on a fella who's not going to be first choice. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think we discussed Richardson quite a lot in the summer, and I think it was along the lines that we were agreeing of was that's a really good uh, addition, and the price is okay if that's like one of the last pieces that you need. Like if you need that fourth forward to stay at the level, with regardless of which three is playing, and the rest of the team is done, cool. That's a fine deal then in that case because that's your biggest need, and therefore it becomes more valuable to you, more worthwhile, and so you would pay more for it. The centre-back thing is an odd one because he loves having great centre-backs and he has quite often been uh, vocal about the need for the team to improve defensively, not just Tottenham, but all the clubs that he's been at. Uh, Improve defensively first, um, improve defensively in terms of the the shape and the build-up playing out the back and everything else. So, I mean, long ago, it was an availability and we need a body addition. That's it, nothing else. Uh, It's it's pretty clear there. And I know he sometimes... And now now he's starting... Yeah, exactly that, because you know he obviously came in for Ben Davies because you assume Ben Davies is going to be out the team. Then it transpired that Ben Davies was actually better than him on the left, so he was back out the team. And now it's Eric Dyer's turn to be a bit rubbish, so he's in at the centre-back. I mean, I think it's okay, especially when you play back three. You can probably get away with a Dyer or a, um, a Longley or a Davinson Sanchez even, like if they're your third one and the other two are really, really good. Because they, you know, they're good enough. They're they're top level players, but just not elites, obviously. So you'd be all right. But when they are two thirds of your defence, and if Romero is out quite a bit, which he is usually through either injury or suspension, you've got three. All three centre backs are a not always what you want to be playing alongside each other, and b not usually in the team anyway. How are you going to do that? It it just isn't going to work. So it was a very very disappointing thing for them. I assume on the Madison Eriksson kind of opportunities, let's say, that they had. Conte was just adamant they were going to play with wingers, 3-4-3. So there's no point in getting someone like yeah. Madison because he can't play anywhere else other than as a, a link at a 10. So it would have restricted the system and the build-up play that he had, even though it would have added to what they've got now. They obviously wouldn't have been able to play the Richarlison, the Kulisevsky, all that kind of thing. So that's okay, but again, 
again, if you don't have anybody who can do it in the squad as well as the, those other positions, maybe that's not too sensible because you are limiting yourself. Like, if the attack was functioning really well, you could probably do it with, let's say, Richarlison. He could probably play that sort of 10 role, but you're still not looking at him dropping back into centre-mid and doing it in the same way no. an Eriksson could or a Madison could. So it does leave themselves short. They're probably another year away from the proper rebuild if they continue on this path and this manager and all the rest of it. But if they don't, that again time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, the thing is, he, he spoke about Kulosevsky last season and he talked quite a bit about him playing as a wing-back. Oh, I cried. And I thought, that's mental, but it is Conte, so it wouldn't surprise me. If you play him as a right wing back and you've got Romero behind him, and given how good Romero is, maybe you can make that work because, I mean, you made Victor Moses a Premier League winning starter. And, and we had Victor Moses. We remember what Victor Moses was like. But I, it's just, it's it's very, very strange. But you're right, he normally does put together, Chelsea being the one exception, a great group of defenders. I mean, the, the Juventus defence he had, Barzagli, Bonucci, Cialini, one of the best defences ever. The Inter defence he had with Skriniar, De Vrij and Bastoni was absolutely sensational. They were brilliant together and they fit really well. This group, it's not just that they're not the elite level, they just don't really fit all that well together outside of Romero, who kind of patches it all together. Like, the dire Davies thing with Romero works, but the level's not good enough. You bring in Davinson, and it doesn't really work, because he's not at all comfortable on the right of the three. Maybe he could play in the middle of the three, but he's so error-prone that I don't know that you trust him there, because Conte just wants consistency in that middle role. He wants someone that heads and kicks it and reads the game well and talks others through games. Whereas that's what De Vries did. It's what Bonucci did. It's what David Luiz did to an extent was to kind of read the game and talk others through. I would like Davinson Sanchez is the type of centre back who needs his hand held. He's not someone that's talking anyone else through the game because he's in his own head so much. It's just very strange. And I know he seems happy. And, you know, there's been talk of, of a contract extension. And if they can get Conte locked to a contract extension, I think that's brilliant. And then they can be looking at the next two to three years of, right, we're going to build with this and then this, and then that's the final stage. But for now, they're, they are behind where I, I had expected them to be, like like you said. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I was expecting more in terms of least the progression of play at least the you know the attacking style let's say substance as much as anything else um they're not i wouldn't say exactly free scoring i know there's not too many teams who have scored more than them this season but they tend to get them in like little gluts or against the dross they'll score quite a few i don't think consistency wise that they're, they're, they're there in terms of their attack and play at all and i mean defensively they're not the best you would expect them to be what top Two, three in the league usually with a Conte defence, with a team who plays the way they do with a back three, all that kind of thing. They're just middle of the road, like literally in mid-table yep. for goals conceded this season. So a lot of work to do at both ends of the pitch. Undoubtedly, injuries are you know, a part for them just as much as they are for Liverpool or any other side. But I still think that they are 
quite a way behind. I'm not really sure how to judge this against like performance levels versus league position because ultimately if they finish third, probably job done to be fair, but they are not as good as I expected them to be. No, no, me neither. Um, you're right. The, the, the thing about the defensive record as well, like you look at United have conceded the same amount of goals, but United have been walloped twice. Um, Chelsea have conceded one less. They've been walloped last weekend and they got walloped at Leeds. Um, Brighton have been walloped a couple of times. Palace got walloped. We haven't been. We've conceded one less than them and we're fairly furious about our defensive record itself. But, you know, you look at them and, and you look at their results. They haven't been... They haven't been hammered. They're just consistently conceding one or two goals every single game. They kept a clean sheet against Wolves. That's not an achievement. Um, they kept a clean sheet against Forest. Not a huge achievement, even though they scored against us. They kept a clean sheet against Brighton, whose biggest issue is always that they don't score enough goals. And they kept a clean sheet against Everton, who had no intention of trying to score goals in that game and almost did score. Missed a couple of good chances in the first half. But that's it. Like, they haven't kept out one decent team this year. They haven't kept a clean sheet to one good attack this year. And that's really concerning if you're if you're Antonio Conte. They've kept a couple in Europe against Eintracht and Marseille. But, I mean, even there, in their six games, they conceded six goals. That's just not what Antonio Conte does, even though... We know he's never been the best when it comes to the Champions League. Uh, let's look at us then. So we have no Luis Diaz this weekend, no Diogo Jota, no Artur. But Naby Keita might be back. Joel Matip might be back. We're waiting to see what the situation is with Milner because it doesn't really seem clear what injury he picked up yesterday. And Jordan Henderson was training indoors by himself during the week. And there's been no real word on what the situation is with him. But obviously he got the knee injury and had to go off against Leeds. Was it Leeds? Uh, Before Leeds, wasn't it? It was right at the end of the other game. Ajax? I can't remember what game he hurt his knee in. I think it was Ajax, and they came on against Leeds, didn't he? It doesn't really matter. I'd be surprised if we see either of them, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, so would I. So would I, especially with the World Cup coming up, because I don't think Henderson will want to take any risks, because it's going to be his last international tournament in all likelihood. Um, There's no real reason for Milner to play this weekend anyway. So. Last night we saw Curtis Jones, Carl, play on the left of the front three, but even with it being more of a 4-3-3, it still ended up being more of a diamond because Bobby was dropping deep, not as deep as he had been in previous games, but still very much playing as a 10 rather than as a 9. So what did you think of Curtis's performance last night? Because I, I know you are a fan. 
Yeah, I do. And I thought it was fine. I mean, I understand that there has been a lot of um, fury and rage against the fact that he, you know, exists or whatever. Um, I thought he was all right. Perfectly fine. Not, you know, I'm sensei. And more to the point of what I suspect a lot of people don't like, not Diaz or doesn't play the role in the same way as a Diaz. I think there are quite a few moments in the game where you could really, really see that he hasn't played in that attack and roll for a long time and that he's not, a, let's say, a forward version of the front three rather than a midfield version of a front three. A couple of times where he could have made a run either across the defender or in behind the defence or anything like that and probably been in with a good goal-scoring chance. But he also tried. He had the header, which he got across the front of the defender for and went over the bar. He had that one-on-one with the keeper who came out really quickly and just chipped it over. So I think his off-the-ball movement in terms of as a forward was decent. I think his weight of passing was good when he you know, made the three passes from slightly deeper areas. The one for Salah, I think it was, with an offside chance was a, a decent example of that. Probably held on to it too long for people's liking again because that's part of how he plays of course but again I think that that is a, a knock-on effect of we've been using him in midfield he's used to playing in a slightly different way at the minute his build-up involvement is different when he's deeper and still I think even when he held on to it too long what he did in the end was mostly okay there was a couple of times when he maybe almost lost possession and had to turn back and just about got away with it I think second half but by and large I thought he was fine he was again a million miles away from being our biggest problem of the season, of the of the night, of anything at all at the moment, to be honest. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I was, I was, to be honest, quite. Um, what's the right word? Uh, not not impressed is the wrong word, but I was quite at ease with his performance there. Reassured, yeah, because I've said this many times. Curtis Jones, for me will always be more of a final third player than a middle third player. I don't like Curtis in that Ginny Wijnaldum role because, number one, he just doesn't have anywhere near the defensive IQ that Ginny had. But number two, I just don't think it allows him to do what comes naturally to him, which is to be inventive. And I said on Roll last night, when Curtis plays on instinct, and allows the talent and technical ability he has to take over, we see a very different player than the one who plays deeper with more time on the ball and gets lost in his decision-making process. He he reminds me a little bit of, of Henderson like that. Remember 13-14 Henderson, who would burst into the box, receive a pass, and first time flick it round the corner, do a layoff, a little ball through the legs, whatever it was. And he was involved in a lot of goals that season with little one-touch movements in and around the edge of the box. Curtis can do all of those things and to an even higher level because he's a, because from a technical point of view, he's a better player than Henderson or a more talented player than Henderson. But like Henderson, when he's got too much time on the ball, he gets caught between options and often just takes the wrong option or the safe option rather than doing what he would do if he wasn't thinking about it so much. Yeah, I don't even think it's always to do with just time on the ball either, but rather a, almost a second guessing of what he has to do in terms of his team role when he's playing that midfield position, you know, because there's a lot, a lot more uh, 
insistence, let's say, from obviously the coach and staff that it has to be the recycling play, that it has to be uh, in terms of having your position sorted first off the ball. As soon as you have given the ball, you've got to be ready for any transitions against your team. So it, there's an awful lot more to go into it from a, a mental perspective than, as you say, an intuitive perspective when you get the ball and you're trying to create and score and open up other people. Um, I, I really don't get the underappreciation, I think, at this point is probably the right way. It's not underrating because we've not seen enough great stuff from him to say he should be higher rated, but I think it's an underappreciation of what he is good at. Um, and if he plays this role again, maybe we'll see a little bit more of it. If we go back to the four four two and he plays the left-sided attacking role, I think, again, you can see it there. There'll be a, probably a bit of a mix of the, uh, the defensive and the build-up play that he's got to do, which is fine. Again, though, I think the bigger question is not just over one player, but over the team and what system we're going to play and how we're going to play and how we're going to line up. Are we going back to the four three three now? Is this what we're going to do? Because I tell you what, it was a four three three and it was visible to be a four three three. But like you say, there was still the dropping in of the diamond, and the reason it still looked like a diamond when Bobby was dropping in was because the wider midfielders or the side midfielders were really, really wide some of the time. Like there were times in that first half again, even though it was a four-three-three, it was Fabinho and twenty yards of space on either side of him, three against one at times, and it's an odd thing that we have this season of not being able to cover central midfield spaces very well. Yeah, yeah, I do agree with that. Um, there were there were some bizarre moments in the first half where James Milner was taking the ball. And he was more to the left than Thiago was. And it was leaving Fab quite exposed when they managed to turn the ball over. Um, then obviously Harvey comes on for Milner. And to his credit, I, I thought he looked really, really lively and full of energy and running. But again, with Harvey, you're always going to sacrifice something off the ball. Um, it's It's an odd situation. I mean... I I genuinely do think Klopp wants to go to a four two four 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 two. It's just that right now with with Diaz out, with Jota out, you don't really have anyone that can play wide on the left unless you're going to give Ox a run or try Costa Simicus there. So the four three three, the the diamond or whichever variation. It does kind of make more sense. I just... I felt last night watching the game, like, you know, you could clearly see we had more levels in us. It was just that we weren't really sure on how to get to them. Whereas with Napoli, I felt like they were almost holding back. Like, they could have gone through the gears at any time. They could have got Kavicha more involved. They could have played more directly through uh, Osman. It, it was a strange game. Now, I des- I feel we deserve to win the game. I, I think 2-0 flattered us a little bit. But, it, you know, it, just, it was just a strange game to watch because during the first half, it's not like we were good. We just weren't shit. And that was such an improvement from what we saw against Leeds yes. that I think it kind of made you feel better than the actual performance should have. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think that last night, both teams, you could see that they were playing without risk, really. Um, we both went for it a lot more than could have been the case, considering it was a, a dead game, effectively. And it made for a good watch, I will say that. And we did play better, for sure. But I do think that how Napoli played against us playing that way, you know, their response to us playing that way, was because there was no no risk for it for either team. We could both afford to go for the win and see who won, basically. Um, so I'm not sure either team would have been that way if, for example, only one of those would have gone through rather than both already being qualified. So I'm not 100% sure how much of that we can take forward, but you definitely take the positives that we did play that way rather than just being shit again. That I think another big positive was actually the fan was the fans were really on side uh, and gave a lot yeah. of back into the players who a few days earlier, had been absolutely diabolical in front of them and lost this big, long record. So that, again, I think is a really big positive. I think probably the the, the players responded to that in kind as well. Um, so I don't think we can take huge amounts from the game, but as I said to Guy in Scouts, it's because, you know, you abandoned us and we had to be by ourselves <laughs> crying in a corner. Uh, I, that was really always all, all I was looking for from the game, is that you could see some elements that we can take into the Spurs match, a bit better organisation, which I think we did see in the defensive line. It was much better. A few individuals being a lot more determined and diligent. And again, I think we saw this. I think there were a couple of individuals who played really well. Ibu Kanate, welcome back to the first 11 on an every single game basis for the rest of the season, as far as I'm concerned. Um, keep that boy fit is priority number one all of a sudden. So there are definite positives to take. I just don't think you mm. can you know, take that result in isolation and the, and the performance level even and not apply any context. Like probably... In terms of the build-up play again, and this will go back to something I was saying about Spurs earlier, Liverpool's build-up play is fine up until we get to about 10 yards outside the penalty box. And then we don't really seem to have those automated pass movements, the movement off the ball, the runners in behind, the overlapping fullbacks. Like last night, at what minute did you first see Trent getting, let's say, into the final third? It was very, very uh, late in the match. Like It was. I... Was it? Other than to take a few corners, yeah. like I'm, I'm genuinely struggling to think of when Trent did get into the final third. Exactly, it was it was very very late on when a couple of times he started pushing forward uh, and given like a, a little bit of backup for for Salah down that side or for Elliot down that side. And on the other side, obviously Costas was you know a bit of a, a train line up and down all game. I thought he did pretty well. But again, until we got into that final third, or not even the final third, a bit further forward, maybe five yards outside the penalty box, we were okay. But don't quite have that brilliance in the penalty box and in and around area in terms of creating open play chances. Again, last mm. night, all our chances offset pieces. The goals offset pieces. And this has been yeah. a thing over and over again. We've been talking about it since the Rangers match, really. And it has been the same through a lot of them. Even like... Man City, it wasn't a set piece, but it was a goal kick. You know, it's still not exactly open play, is it? And then against Arsenal, I think we scored two open play goals. Uh, West Ham was a corner. So it is not in balance at the moment in terms of we're creating enough chances in open play and being clinical from them. So there's still work to be done there. Maybe, though... Maybe we're starting to see a little bit more of the confidence in general play coming back, which will in turn lead to more of those 
you know, automatic first time passes, which we haven't seen as much one on ones a little bit better. I think probably the best passages of play last night in terms of, you know, one touch and, and passing around people trying to press us was after all those subs had been made. There was one in our defensive penalty box, which I think was Fabinho, Elliot, and a couple really? of others. Yeah, that was brilliant yeah. playing out. And then down that same side, but in attack, I think it was Carvalho, Elliot, maybe Ramsey, Ramsey. was involved, and Salah. Yeah, and there, again, a really, really nice chance opened up from the same thing. So That yeah. was the one that opened the chance up for Carvalho. Carvalho. It was just yeah. after the first goal. And I don't think he realised that he had time to take a touch, set himself, and shoot. He kind of took a touch and then a snapshot yeah, stabbed on and the sailed it over the bar. But it was a lovely bit of play that led to that. The one where we played out from the back and there was three or four players involved, I think Ibu, Ramsey, Fab, Basetic might have had a touch in that. Like, it was really, really nice. It was, it was quick. It was sharp. For a bunch of lads that had never played together before, it was really, really impressive to see them have that confidence to do that as well. I, I wonder just on the Trent thing, I just wonder if maybe one of the reasons he didn't commit so far forward was he was worried about what would happen if he got caught I'd imagine so. and the other fella decided to get the ball and just run because we saw what happened in Naples anytime Kavicha got the ball behind Trent. He just wasn't able to catch him. He managed to burn him, I think, twice last night. Ibu was monstrous and came across and dealt with it. But to be fair to Trent, I thought defensively last night he actually played very well because Kavicha has been on an absolute tear this season. Now, I haven't seen every Napoli game, but I've seen most of them. And that's about the quietest I've seen him look this season. Now, again, the game state might have played a part, but I thought to be fair, I thought Trent dealt with him quite well. Yeah, I thought he was okay. I think one-on-one, Kvita did him quite a lot of times, to be fair, and a couple of times. He does he everybody. Yeah. He does everybody one-on-one. But, yeah, I think, I think actually, you mentioned it you know, a little while ago in the podcast. They didn't actually get it to him as often as they should have done, to be blunt. You know, their, their build-up play was fairly varied, and they didn't just relentlessly feed him all the time. I think we probably would have had a few more problems had they have done, but... Again, context of the match, and they were trying other things. And the fact that they had both uh, Ndombele and Angisa playing those sort of attacking central roles made a difference mm. as well, because they were both a bit more individually ball carrying rather than Zielinski being on one of those. And yeah. it goes to him on the left, and then it goes to Kavicha on the on the left as well. So that was a, another big differentiation thing for us. I will say though, Labotka, for God's sake, I don't know that there's another very very good. Ball playing, but ball winning number six in Europe at the minute is so, so good. Do you know what I really like about him, Carl? And I I know it was was frustrating all the Liverpool fans last night, is how clever he is at winning free kicks. Mm. Like, I said this on Raw last night, they, they were smarter than us for the majority of the game because whenever we got a little bit of pressure going and they managed to nick the ball away, they, the player who got the ball would just stop running and wait for someone on our team to run into them and then fall over. And they started doing that quite early and the referee started buying it quite early. So they were like, well, look, this is just what we do now. We, we get the ball and if there isn't 
an immediate counter-attack on. Like, if we can't directly get the ball to Kavicha or over the top to, uh, to Osimian, we're just going to buy a free kick and slow the game down, and these will get frustrated. And you could see it with some of our players. They were, Bobby was getting quite frustrated, particularly in the first half, by, by Lobotka particularly, just nicking the ball and then just sort of putting his foot on it and stopping and letting someone touch him and falling over. Free kick, slow everything down, get back in position, reset and get the ball 40 yards from goal. Uh, he he is he is very very good at what he does, and if it wasn't for his age, I think Napoli would probably be getting ready for a fairly sizable offer to come in. Now he is I suppose he is only would he be twenty eight in October, but I could see a number of teams that could use a player like him, um, including us. Must be said, but um, he's a. He's just the way he's gone up the last, like developed the last couple of years. Considering the roundabout path he's had to getting where he is, it's really good to see. And like you said, no Zielinski last night. He was on the bench, and when he's back and Ramani is back at centre back, they are going to be a very tough out in the competition. But I think we are as well, and I think we showed last night that you know we can match the very best teams. We've shown it against City. And I think we can show it again this weekend against Tottenham. I thought even the Arsenal game, even though we didn't play well, we still more than matched them. And they needed three massive calls to go in their favour for the first goal, the penalty nonsense, and the Gabriel blatant handball that wasn't given. If all three of those go to us, we win that game 3-1. Do you know? So... I just feel like we got a little bit unlucky in that game. It might have been 2-0 we would have won the game. I can't remember. Either way, I feel like we have shown we can still do it when we need to against the big clubs. It's just about translating that into you know, your more run-of-the-mill games against the Dross. This weekend, what do you want to see from us in terms of an 11? Obviously, Ali's in goal. You've said Ibu and Virgil, and I fully agree, that should be the partnership. Trent and Robbo as the fullbacks. Yeah, I think Costas probably had his best game in a, a while for me. Um, but I mm. think Robertson has done all right the last couple of games as well. So Robbo back in. Oh, can we just highlight Costas last night? Properly getting involved with uh, Irving Lozano yes. and not backing down. Yes, absolutely loved it. Yeah. It was funny. It all started over a throw-in, and Lozano starts mouthing at him. And Costas has this really surprised look, as if to say, who is this little fucking whippet? Who does he think he's talking to? And when he makes that tackle and stands over him, and like properly flexes on him, you just, that's what you want to see from your players, not being cowered by intimidation tactics, by being willing to stand up. Robbo does it all the time. We've seen it. So many, we saw it, even, even in the Leeds game, he was at it trying to spark a bit of the crowd or whatever. I really like to see that from Costas last night. I agree, it was his first good game in, in probably the last three or four that he's played. Um, but Robbo was re- has been has been good since coming back, so I, I'd go Robbo as well. Would you stick with Fab and Thiago as your double pivot? Are you going 4 4 
I would. But I... I would because I want to play Darwin. And I want Darwin and Mo as a two. But it would be a... I'll, I'll go with my, what I'd say. I would go Harvey, Fab, Thiago. I would start Curtis. And I would play it as a 4-4-2 off the ball with Curtis getting more into that front three. It, it, sorry, more into the attack and forming a front three on the ball. But breaking out into a flat four when we lose possession because I think the, the key with Spurs is they're going to try and work the ball down their flanks. Curtis has a has a good capacity to track back. Harvey, when he's on, when he's when it clicks with him, is fairly diligent at tracking a runner as long as he sees the runner in time and he can get back and help Trent. So I, I would go Curtis and Harvey as the, the wide players, but with Curtis getting more narrow when we have the ball. And then Salah and Darwin. Salah and Darwin. I, I think Bobby needs a rest. Yeah. Right. When was the last time Bobby didn't start? Uh, 1982, I think. Um, you know. I, I actually would go for that 11 as well. I think, you know, we've, we've seen quite an element of flexibility in the systems that we've had on and off the ball over the last month, partly because it's been necessary and partly because some of the times the players have just lost and don't know what they're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think as opposed to last night, where you've got sort of the four-three-three, uh, tilting back to the diamond almost when Firmino drops in. When you've got Darwin there and you're doing this, you're more looking at four-three-three, Jones dropping, and that's the four-four-two rather than you know the flat one yeah. instead of the diamond as such. So yes, I would be absolutely fine with this. I think that probably allows us to uh, match up three-on-three three in the midfield, um, in possession or you know against the transitions because that's when we're in possession goes to them. Then it's three-on-three three in the middle. I think that's fine. As I said before, I actually think that on our left, their right, Emerson against Robertson is a one-on-one battle, and I'm fine with that. You know, obviously, yeah. if they play the three-four-three that we spoke about, and it's Lucas Moura on that side, then you do need somebody doubling up, and we have to get that right because you know two against one doesn't work too well for the defensive side usually. But if it is the three-five-two that Spurs go with. I'm fine with that. Wing back against wing back, and even on the other side, Perisic against Trent, I back him to win enough and then play out very, very quickly. Yeah, I agree. I thought even last night there was moments where Milner pushed on, Bobby dropped, and it almost became a little bit of a box where we had front and back against them. So Milner was very Thiago, at times early on last night. A bizarre performance. It was. It was like he. Not that he, not that he was bad. But he, was, it was just, he was energetic about it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> he was. He was. But I could see us doing the same thing if if Harvey is the right sided midfielder and Curtis is the left sided forward. They can move into like dual tens with Fab and Thiago as a two, and then those two as a two, and you can swamp a three man midfield by playing a four-man box and coming at them from both sides. So it is definitely something to consider. Um, but yeah, that is what I would start. I'd start Curtis, I'd start Harvey, I'd start Darwin. I think Mo, Fab and Thiago picked themselves. I think the back four picks itself, and obviously we know who the goalkeeper will be. Um, before we go to predictions, Carl. Yes. Myself and Guy, 
have decided that as a present to you, we are going to retire forever Tony Pulis watch. Really? And replace it with Unai Emery watch. Guy Drinkle, where are we this week? We are in the Midlands for Unai Emery's debut. It's a home game, of course, so that means he's going to win. It's against Manchester United. Somehow not picked for television because Sky are a disgrace. But Unai Emery is picking up three points on Sunday at two o'clock. How is it that this great man, four-time winner of the Europa League, does not warrant a spot on the TV schedule this weekend? I, I call it a disgrace. Carl, your thoughts on Unai Emery's first game back in English football? I think it's a, um, a massive, massive coincidence that it comes on the very same week that I'm resigning from Scouted. <laughs> Might I add the Paul McGrath derby just for your sake as well, Dave? Yes, indeed, the Paul McGrath derby. The Dwight York derby as well. Ashley um, Young derby, fantastic. Mark oh, Bosnich God. derby. The Mark yeah. Bosnich derby, yeah. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, this, there's, there's something... That, it's an aside. There are certain games in the Premier League that I just love, and United against Villa is one of them. Because I just remember the, the early years of the Premier League, the first couple, Villa were sort of, until Blackburn became a thing, Villa were the biggest challenge to United. And uh, I just, it's, it's a nice nostalgic moment. And obviously, having your favourite manager back in the league, Carl, yeah. is, a, is a big plus for this one. So, with that said, yeah, what is your prediction I mean, <laughs> for Liverpool Spurs? Okay, I thought you were asking me for an Emery prediction there. I mean, I was oh, say, give me one of them as well. well, well give me one of them as well. <laughs> they're at home, so it's a 1-0 win, isn't it? Yes. 1-0 this week, and then a, a next week when they're away, it's a 6-1 defeat. <laughs> or a stodgy 0-0 draw. I actually see um, your, your nostalgia is going to continue into next week because it's uh, Aston Villa v Man United at the weekend and then in the Cup, Man United v Aston Villa midweek. So there you go. Yes. But the, the second one's an away game, isn't yeah, it? So they're definitely losing that one. Yeah, that's the sixth one. Um, right, give me your prediction for Tottenham versus Liverpool. I'm going to be bold. I think this Liverpool thing that we're seeing at the minute where they are somehow able to lift themselves up for the big matches is going to be on show again. And like I said, Spurs, I don't think have controlled much as well in the slightest. Obviously, there's still a danger with you know Kane and some decent individual players. Set pieces, they're a danger, as we mentioned during the show. We are as well. Hopefully, we get a bit more in terms of our open play attacking stuff. I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool. Hmm. See, I'm feeling a win as well. But... First away win of the season in the league. Yeah, that's what gives me pause for thought. The fact that we just... They've won, we haven't they've won, won away five in the league. six at home. And they should have beaten Newcastle. Um, in the European Cup, they won two of three, drew at Sporting. I'm just going to go for the draw. I'm going to be a coward and I'm going to go for the draw. I'll say I'll say 1-1 one, because one, I don't think they have two goals in them. Wonder you like so I'll say 1-1. One, one. Listen. We draw. Take your points. If we draw. 
Can we wins. end up in the bottom half this weekend? I don't know, I'm not counting all those games. But that would be two wins out of the last eight in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, which is is fairly um shambolic, let us let us say. Well let's see, right. So Premier League table. Uh Crystal Palace are level on points with us. Crystal Palace this weekend away to West Ham. The Hammers win. West Ham have been poor, but but they should win that one. Uh Brentford, a point behind us. They're away to Forest, so Four all. I I'd probably go a four all draw. Um if if West Ham beat Palace, they'll go ahead of us. Uh which would put us in tenth. That means if Everton win Everton are home to Leicester. A uh, 3-1 Leicester. Just can't bring myself to cheer for Brendan Rodgers, no matter what the situation is. If Everton win and we draw, we will be above them, so we would stay 10th. Yeah, a, a draw keeps us in the in the top half. Um, in fact, if we draw, West Ham won't go above us either. So uh, I'll take the draw and a lovely ninth or 10th place uh, after the weekend's festivities. So, yeah, I'll go 1-1. One, one. Heady Heights. The Heady Heights. <laughs> oh, Lord. That'll make good selling in the January transfer market. Do you want to come to Liverpool? Are you going to win the league this year? Well, we're 10th at the minute. Oh. We're, we're, we're in the Champions League, though. Who are you playing? Real Madrid. Oh, right. So does that as well. Um, Jeez, what a mess. What a mess of a season. Can we just null and void it? Let's let's get another pandemic going and let's get this season null and voided nice and early. You, they couldn't argue. You'd have to null and void this season. It's only 12, 13, 14 games in. Uh, you'd be more than within your rights to null and void this whole season and start again in, in two years or something. Um, yeah, Jesus wept. Anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, well, we're not going to be doing a scouted for Derby in the League Cup, so we will do. No. <laughs> so, if there's any questions, feel free to to throw them into the uh, Discord group or on Twitter. Um, we'll also be doing some stuff to be talking about during the World Cup when there's no Liverpool matches, obviously. So, again, mm. any any topics in particular you want us to cover, feel free to yell at us loudly. For sure. For sure. Uh, we will be back then for Southampton, and we'll have one in between. Um, what we, whatever it is, we'll do. We'll go through some questions. There's probably a few that we've missed in the Discord. If you've got any more, throw them in. We'll get them done, and then, as Carl says, we'll have a few recorded for the World Cup. We'll also be doing a daily pod during the World Cup, so you will, of course, get your your daily dose of the two of us bickering with each other. Um, we might have to find a way to work Unai Emery into that podcast. Maybe Unai Emery's Guide to the World Cup uh, is what we'll call it. Uh, but until then, follow Carl on Ma- Carl on Matchett, Carl Matchett on Twitter, at Carl Matchett. Follow Guy Drinkle, at Guy Drinkle. And follow me, at Mr. Two-Footed, on the Twitter machine for now, until Elon starts charging us all to use it. Then no more. Uh, bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, 
where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.